Morning, Brian. Brian Smith is the CEO of MyLeon.com, a health sciences uh, company, uh, software SaaS company that's taken off. And uh, it's a pleasure to have you this morning on our podcast. Uh, it's about diversity thinking, smart chicken. So welcome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm happy to be on here, man. Uh, I appreciate it. And just it's, it's MyLeon.co. And don't oh, worry, I, I apologize. That You're right. <laughs> the CEO. Uh, yeah, don't <laughs> you know, but um, as you as as you guys cleverly put on your website, it's like everyone has an I O L Y. You know, everyone's yeah, trying to get very techy. Moms are kind of falling away for that. So I apologize. Yeah, yeah, man, yeah, I, I love the name, man. Smart Chicken is a fantastic name. Well, it's got its own little story too. You know, there's 27 billion chickens on the planet. That's uh, you know almost 4x the amount of humans. However, interestingly enough, Smithsonian Magazine put in um, some data behind uh, you know, human uh, uh, biologists, I see animal biologists have done a bunch of testing and they're very, um, you know, they're very smart uh, farm animals, probably one of the smartest, and they know how to work well together. There's thousands, um, there are hundreds of different breeds and, and then thousands, thousands of versions of them. Mm -hmm. And they just some, somehow know how to work together smarter, right? Mm -hmm. So when I thought about like, how are we and, and my, in my journey in different company, different industry, different sizes, it's always about people. You know, mm -hmm. if you build the right people, if you build the right uh, team, which is obviously people within your team, then you're going to become, you know, an, a, a, a better organization or, or you're at least going to have a better chance to become a world-class or a top, you know, a company within your industry. <clears throat> Um, it's those that get into the group think, which sometimes is hard in different, in certain industries, you know, that yeah. sort of get stuck and there's no innovation. And the reason why is because it's not, you know, there's not enough diversity in thinking and uh, everyone's got a different journey. So that's yeah. what I want to get into with you, Brian, because I know that every founder has their journey, their origin story. And so t tell me about you, you know, you growing up in, um, I'm presuming in, in, in Philadelphia. Sure. Yeah. Um, so I grew up in Philadelphia, um, you know, sort of broken household sort of environment, you know, dad, alcoholic, sort of all those things. And uh, it was, you know, never really a sort of a good student. It was really, really a bad kid. You can probably ask my mom, she'd tell you all about it. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, after high school, what I actually did is I went into the army. Um, so it's not on my LinkedIn. I just don't bother putting it on there. But I was in the army reserves for about six years. Well, thank you. And, for you know, so that was like the first time in my life that I ever like experienced, you know, discipline. But at the same point, it was the first time in my life I ever sort of really excelled at something, right? Where I sort of put my mind into something and it came out with a sort of great result of the end. Um, and, you know, thinking back on it, it sort of was like the precipice of everything that I did after that, right? Because, you know, if you think about it, you know, I went from, you know, the military to, you know, running uh, sort of like gyms and whatnot to, um, training professional athletes, like on, on like a real sports science level, right? like where we would do blood analytics, we would do HRV and EEG and all these other things. And we would essentially what we would be doing is we'd be sort of predicting performance or predicting injury using data science on a physiological level. Um, and then I started two startups, right? But all of those were all based on the idea of human performance and sort of human optimization, right? So the army was myself, you know, the gyms and whatnot were sort of other people. The USA track and field stuff was professional athletes, you know, mm -hmm. and then it was recreational and sort of, you know, younger athletes. And now it's in um, sort of employees, right? So it's, it's been a sort of crazy journey, but you know, where I'm at right now, I'm pretty happy about it. Yeah, no, that's great. Well, you know what, uh, unwrap, you know, that for us, you know, yeah. how, how was your experience, you know, st starting with, let's say US track, yeah. right? where you really started taking, and I'm presuming that you, um, you know, you, you were able to get into the whole like uh, data science fitness or did, did you ha have you, had you gone to Temple yet to get a little bit of- Yeah, uh, so it was, yeah, so I was already, I had already been done college. So I was sort of, I was army reserves, right? So at that point, you know, I was able to go to college and, you know, serve in the military and whatnot at the same time. So, you know, I think, uh, you know, working for LA Fitness, it was a combination of things, right? Like I started with LA Fitness because it was fitness, right? So it was like exercise science degree, fitness, awesome, sort of get in there and, and whatever. And then, you know, I realized I was sort of pretty good at the sales and marketing aspect of it. And, you know, I got promoted and, you know, I was probably 
it's crazy. I have an LA fitness at the time, you know, like an 18, 21 year old, 22 year old kid can probably make almost $200,000. You're running a, a gym, you know, and it was all based off merit. It was all based on how hard you work, right? If you're sort of a performer and you're a worker, then you got promoted and that's your job, right? So it's like a 21 year old kid. It's like, who's going to turn down, you know, that amount of money? Um, Incredible. I didn't know. I was unhappy, but still, I mean, but it, they, uh, it was a good opportunity at the time. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, I, I have, um, I, I, I played college ball, soccer nice. on scholarship and one of my very good friends and uh, teammate, Ryan Utzman, mm-hmm. he got um, right after um, he went to UNLV also like as a second part of the, the, the two years of, of, uh, of uh, his soccer scholarship. But anyhow, he got in your industry, but he got it with a competitor, 24 hour fitness. Yeah. And um, as well, he just, boom, he just, he skyrocketed meteoric like in that company because I think it goes back to what you're saying. So you, part of your origin story is, you know, you went into the, the Army Reserve and that discipline, which, you know, I liken it to the, the type of, you know, discipline you need as an athlete, which I can see how you had a really nice segue to when you got into USA Track. You know, it's, it's uh, anyone that's a professional athlete or has been an athlete at a semi-pro level or higher knows how much in the, in the importance of the discipline and the, the, the work ethic, right, that comes into um, into, into that profession. So it almost seems like for you, you, you got a, a lot of that, I'm sure when you were in the army, yeah. um, that that's what the army is, 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 is known for as, as part of their kind of their DNA. So that's great. And then, so then t- talk, talk me through, or talk us through a little bit about, you know, your experience when you, um, you, you were working with us track and Olympians, cause that, yeah. that's not, that's not very common. Not many people listen. I, the only claim to fame I have about getting as close to the Olympics was I was on the under 17 U.S. Olympics national team for soccer. Nice. That's you know, great. In my youth, which was great. Yeah. Um, but it never actually got to play in the Olympics. It's a, you know, if you happen to be chosen to be in the Olympic team on a year that they had the Olympics, great. If you didn't, you were just basically doing these, these scrimmages in the Colorado, you know, over in uh, the Olympic uh, Center in Colorado Spring. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but tell me, how, how was that experience? And, um, you know, what did you gain from that that you, you could, you can, if you could put your lens around also, um, you know, this sort of the, the diversity of thinking um, of, of, that it might have given you into, you know, your, 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 your next yeah. sort of journey? You know, so it, it's, it really, one, it was awesome, right? Because, you know, I, I was working, it, it wasn't just sort of USA track and field. So like it was USA, but, you know, Iris also consulted, right? So like I had you know, shot putters from India. I had, you know, 1500 meters from Ghana, 400 meters from Jamaica. Like, you know, so in Rio, I had roughly about 13 athletes that I was representing, you know, in the, in the, in the Rio uh, Olympics. Now I didn't win gold in any of them. So I don't have a medal I can wear on right now. So that sucks, you know, but, uh, but I think what was great about it was twofold, right? Is Physiology, like what you learn in about school, is very different than sort of applied physiology and what you're sort of learning when you're working with athletes, right? And the biggest sort of takeaway is that all the books that you read, and this sort of segues back into companies as well, it's always an N equals one approach, right? Every human and every individual is very, very different um, at every single level, right? So I could give you a specific training program and you might excel, but if I give your brother or cousin or whoever else the same program, that person's gonna potentially get injured and overtrain and all these other things, right? Um, so that was sort of, I think, the biggest takeaway for me is that you know it's always human first, right? And everybody's individually different, you know. And it's sort of you know where we're at today. It's sort of lended itself to the way that companies look at like culture and whatnot, right? And the way they manage people. Um, you know, and that's why we've sort of like gotten this whole idea that culture is bullshit. Um, uh, simply on the idea and you talk about diversity, you ever read those LinkedIn posts and they're like, you have to hire based off what your cultural fits and you have to hire based, sure. based on values and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But I look at that, like, isn't that extremely, extremely limiting? Like if I'm going to hire off of values and I'm going to hire off a of cultural fit, guess what everybody's going to look like and guess what everybody's going to act like. Like, that's a big problem. So like, it's, I guess that bothers me a little bit, right? And then going back to sort of the N equals one thing, you know, companies, the way that, you know, they're treating individuals and they're taking in data and all these other things, they should be looking at the ways that they can individually help one person, all right, versus trying to help sort of a massive population of people. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, no, it does. So interesting point. So help me understand. So when I, in most of the organizations that I've worked with, right, yeah. there's always your, your HR talent development, talent mm-hmm. management team, right? They've, they've sort of changed names a bit, even their associations, right? Yeah. Uh, ASTD, you know, American um, um, Society of Human Resource yeah. and Training and Development, right? So I think it, you're, you're right to, to, to say that everyone is an individual, right? And you, everyone contributes in an individual capacity towards an organizational uh, mm-hmm. overall framework or game plan or strategy or yearly results uh, mm-hmm. that they're aspiring to, to obtain, right? Quarter over quarter. Um, I, I think that it's great that you're, 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 you know, that you're, you're thinking or shifting that mentality of a, it's not a, a, a one-to-many, but it should be a one-to-one. And then on that aggregate of those one-to-one specialized sort of understanding what keeps your employee motivated, what keeps your employee, you know, um, hungry for, 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 uh, for, for knowledge or, or, uh, you know, a, a performer, you know, versus one that might need, there's some kind of gap and, and understanding what those gaps are are all important and more so these days than ever, I think, because right now, and if we take right now, even just this, if we just put a stamp on this, a timestamp on where we are today, right? So mm-hmm. in light of that, we have a global pandemic that we have, um, you know, a bit of disarray in terms of um, furloughed and maybe employees that had to be let go, but as well as many that are, hadn't gotten uh, let go are working from home, are remote workers. You know, how do you see that sort of um, impacting to your point of understanding the individuals? Because yeah. I've heard a lot of people talk about that lately that, hey, you know what, even though I, I am, the, you know, the VP of sales in a team, I've got to do individual check-ins as well to see how my team is doing. Um, what, what, yeah. what kind of light could you put to that? Yeah, so, you know, and this sort of comes back to from, the, from a military standpoint as well, right? So when, you know, the Navy SEALs, when they're sort of training an organization and culture and mission is a huge part of that, right? But if, you know, a Navy SEAL is sort of left out, you know, in the field by themselves, they're not falling back on their culture or their mission to survive. Um, And I look at employees sort of being the same exact way, right? What we don't spend time and we don't spend money on making the individual person better. Right. So especially now, you know, we've all these people at home, so they can't go in and be motivated by the culture. They can't go in and be motivated by the manager or leader or whatnot. Right. They can't have that group thinking to sort of push them along. So where I think we should be sort of spending money and spending resources is making each individual person better. Right. So that could be, you know, spending, making them more mindful. Right. So treating sort of their mental health on a one on one basis, making them better performers, sort of educating them on things that they want to get better about increasing their overall fitness and overall wellness. Right. We want to make, I think, at this point, very robust and resilient sort of badass performers that don't need to rely on your culture and your in-office environment and managers to perform. Because now we're, we're silos of individual entrepreneurs all working in their own sort of safe space and environment all right, to help drive a specific company that they work for. So I think we should be building on that. I don't think we should be trying to hold on to this in-office culture, which Doug's doesn't exist anymore. I think we should be spending more resources, more resources and more time on making sure that those individuals are taken care of and they're performing or they're increasing sort of their overall performance on a 1v1 basis. Right. No, no, I, I agree. And I think right now, the, you know, some would argue that the pen, pendulum, right, if we think about, um, there, there were some studies that I, that I heard that, you know, COOs, CEOs um, are looking at, you know, two years out, perhaps, and already are and have made changes to how, how much of the workforce, especially those the knowledge economy, right? So mm-hmm. your, your, your business, you know, your company being a software company and others uh, have a little bit more of a luxury than obviously a brick and mortar company, right? Yeah. Uh, but let's if we were just to stick to the, these companies that can have a you know a um, distributed team or a remote workforce, you know the pendulum is swinging and that maybe 30, 40 percent could potentially, if you know the global pandemic gets a little bit under control with a vaccine, let's say a year and a half to two years from now, that some would want to come back to that in-office culture, uh, culture or corporate setting, right? Yeah. Environment, sorry. So if the pendulum, let's say, swings. So it's, it's right now, I think, swinging towards remote, obviously, right? And, and working from, from home. 
Uh, but if it starts coming back and people that have been surveyed, I think companies that have done surveys, right, have seen that maybe right now it's like at a 30 to 40% would want to come back for a couple of days to be in the office, right? Because um, no, 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 uh, to your point, no, 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 um, no two employees are the same. They have different motivations. They have different um, things that are going on in their lives outside of work, you know, family dynamics, what have you, right? A working parent and a single um, you know, employee are, are, are in different parts of, of their, their journey in life, right? So it's a little bit different. The, the decision is not just um, a decision of, of one when you're married and have children. And trust me, I can attest to that. I have two little boys, a three and a yeah. five-year-old and a wife, and she's, you know, she's at, at home a mom plus an entrepreneur herself. And so it, it's berserko here sometimes, right? So I would imagine that right now this time that we have, right, because of C19 would be a very opportune time for people and companies and leadership to take note of what you're saying, which is how can we really help extend, you know, um, employee performance and wellness? Because I think wellness is very important as well. There's right now there's, you know, more than ever probably mental health is, is at a high stake um, in general, but I would say for those that are working remote or, or um, you know, and, and are, are feeling that pressure and tension of having to contribute still to the bottom line, uh, still trying to, you know, show up in their own way every day, right? How is that being, um, you know, how, how is that being monitored or not monitored? And I, I presume that the, the, the data that companies can get from your platform uh, especially the leadership and training and talent development, as well as them sharing it with the rest of the C-suite, gives them indicators, right? I would I presume of how healthy or not healthy that employee is, and not just about their health personally, but their 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 holistic health, right? So it's not just mental health, but how are they feeling about the company? How are they feeling about their 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 job? How are they feeling about their um, you know, their um. Uh, the workload. How are they feeling about opportunities for them mm -hmm. to grow in the company? So, you know, it's, it's interesting you say that, right? Because, you know, I was actually talking to one of our investors last night about this is think about the way that we handle employee engagement or employee perks right now, right? Essentially, there's two different sort of ways that we do that. One, you know, we buy a bunch of stuff, right? We buy headspace, we buy gym pass, we buy all these different things to sort of potentially help our employees, but we already discussed this, right? Everybody's super, very, super subjective, right? This, your sales team and the way they manage their mental health might be very different than your product team, right? All right? Because again, going back to that N equals one approach, headspace isn't going to fix everybody. Um, talk space isn't going to fix everybody. So we're not taking sort of this holistic approach and we're just guessing. We don't, and, and truth be told, there's no ROI on it either. You have no clue if it works or not. You're just throwing things at people and say, here's a resource, go do it. Or the other part they do is they use employee engagement softwares, um, your culture amps, your 15.5, your lattices, right? Have you ever used any of those? Yeah. And, and you know, with, with sort of uh, the Qualtrics of the world, they can get the net promoter score, but they do it for employees and all the surveys that you get. You know, I think they're, it's funny because I don't know if you're going to get to this, but, you know, having yearly reviews or, or semi-yearly reviews um, that come from HR, I think are pointless, right? Because if you're not touching base and in a real way, and I, I'm thinking and presuming that this is what your, your company does, which is great. If you're not giving them daily, um, you know, um, a, a way to, 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 to grow daily and get 1% better, then you can't expect that, you know, on an on a annual review or semi-annual review to get accurate data. Because a lot of the data is, you know, people just want to get through the survey you know, people are cognizant of the fact that even though they swear that no one will know whose true identity is, you know, not everyone puts in what they really feel about X, Y, Z. So I personally think they, they're, you know, they're better than nothing, but they're definitely not a hundred percent, a great indicator of where, you know, where the employees heads at and, and what, what they think about the company in general. Well, you know, I, I think broadly speaking, how, companies look at employee engagement is completely the opposite way that you need to look at it, right? Um, and let's, let's start by just the name itself, employee engagement. Is your Qualtrics survey or your Culture Amp survey, does it ever engage you as an employee? 
It doesn't, do you ever benefit from it? You might indirectly, like you might like your manager might treat you a little bit better or like they might do more like kombuchas on tap or freaking company happy hours or something along those lines yeah. because culture is down, but they don't, that doesn't make the employee better, right? So what Leon does, we flipped it on the opposite side. So what we do is we, yes, we do collect surveys. We do, you know, uh, understand sort of engagement metrics and whatnot, but we take that data, all right, and we use it to both um, uh, predict, all right, and mitigate things like mental health, burnout, performance, and culture. But the way that we mitigate it is not by giving data to the company to make managers better. We actually curate and recommend specific programs, education, and events directly to the employee. So we tell, we're able to predict if this a person is trending towards burnout. And then what we do is based with integrations into sort of everything you can imagine, we specifically recommend in-app headspace, talk space, recovery modalities, you know, soul cycle, whatever that is that are gonna help that person sort of remove and get out of burnout. We're gonna create learning modules and education and content that help that, that individual human being understand what burnout is, how to fix it, how it happened, how to prevent it. And then we're gonna create events and sort of an ecosystem designed around sort of supporting that individual during that time. All right, so that's, that's how it works. It's like, we're taking that data and we're just working on the human. We're trying, like when we say we're, we're human capital thing, like that's mm -hmm. specifically what it is. It's about superpowering that one individual employee. All right, yes, we use that data to help companies understand exactly, you know, what changes they should be making and whatnot. But, Truth be told, I don't really care about the company. I care about the employee because I know if we have superpower an employee, we're going to superpower the company. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I love it. No, this is uh, this is great. It's re revelatory and revolutionary, I think, in a way because, you know, if, if we stay to if we stick to status quo, right? And with AI, and this is what I love about what you just said, you know, AI done right is predictive anal analytics, right? right? The platform is there to just get the type of data that you can then in turn into actionable items, right? And if these actionable items are targeted directly to the employee to prevent that burnout and to give them better paths for wellness and better paths for professional development, that's, that's just superb, right? Yeah. Most employees, you know, come into a, into a position, into a career, into a company, um, a little bit, yes, attracted by that culture. Another thing is value congruence, right? If they feel that there's value congruence in the, the hiring manager, their team, what the company stands for. That's true. But at the end of the day, right, um, I've experienced this myself. When you start getting, you know, three months in, six months in, it's a year and a half in and the honeymoon, over, honeymoon period sort of over, and uh, you, you, you're, you're looking a lot more uh, to a lot more than just culture, you start internalizing, how am I benefiting, right? I know the company's benefiting and I want the company to benefit. I want the company to grow and I like my team and I like my manager or what have you. But you start really internalizing, you know, how am I getting better, right? And how are they helping me get better? So I love the fact that you're telling me right now that yours is a very curated system um, with predictive analytics and you guys are using that as sort of the engine to, to helping companies make super, you know, performers um, to benefit the company's overall goal. So that's awesome, man. So speaking about super performers or superpowers, you know, it's a, it's a question that I ask some of my guests. It's, when you think back to, you know, your, your journey, and, but you look at your, your journey as it is today and what you think it might be in the future, what are some of these superpowers that you've been able to use to get yourself from, a, I think it sounds like an incredible journey, man. You start at a, as a LA manager fitness, making some really good money in your 20s. Then you trans, 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 you know, translate that into, um, transform that, I should say that, and translate your knowledge into USA track and field, both on the professional levels, Olympian, Olympians, which mm -hmm. how many people can say, hey, I helped XYZ Olymp Olympian in Rio, uh, you know, a little, the Rio Olympics uh, meet sort of their, their lifelong dream and goal of getting um, into, into a competition and doing well. But now that you, you're doing this on, on a big level with um, myleon.co, what, what has been that superpower you think that you've brought to the table along your journey? You know, um, I think probably more than anything is grit, right? Um, and you're probably familiar with Angela Duckworth's book, um, Grit. I, I, that and I think self-awareness, 
right? I always sort of knew who I was and where I excelled at. And, you know, a lot of times it really hurt me because I'm, I can't work for anybody. I'm really bad at you know, working with people, like for managers and leaders. And that's, you know, that's just what it is, you know? And I think I just realized that early on is that I had to sort of work for myself and I had to be passionate about something. If I wasn't passionate, I can't do it at all. It just doesn't work for me. I'm too... I mean, quite honestly, I have a little bit of an ego and I can recognize and understand that and, and know that affects it. But it's also too, is I'm too stubborn, you know, I, and also I'm too stubborn to sort of fail as well, you know, and it's just one of these things where, you know, I had no history in tech. I had no background that, I, I, you know, up until probably three years ago, I didn't know the difference between a front end and a back end, right? So it's just like, but you learn, right? And you grind and you have goals. And as long as you're mission oriented and going back to what you were saying about being mission oriented in culture, you know, when you played soccer, you guys all had one mission, right? And that was to win. And that mission created the culture. In companies, and this is why I yell about culture so much, you take a 10,000, 20,000 person company, like a GE or something like that, mm -hmm. culture isn't, doesn't exist. And it can't exist because specifically everybody has their own mission all right and why they're there there's that could be supporting their mother it could be supporting their father their family whatever self-betterment all right this idea of culture only works in the spaces that you see on linkedin the people that we talk to right and the small startup teams and whatnot and founders sort of like hurrahing culture but up to a certain point culture is sort of a moving target man you know you raise yeah. a series c for 250 million dollars your culture is fucking changing really really quickly yeah that is yeah. so true and i've seen that happen i'm you know i i uh, you might be familiar with this company drift yeah so i've been a partner for drift for some time david cancel elias torres uh latinx founders incredible their journey and their story too uh but they're big into culture right and i I've, I've witnessed it, being a partner, I've seen it. And it's true, they do have a culture. Having said that, cultures do change because it is a moving target. I think their, their ethos or their true north it will always stay the same because they're, they're these, the, the founders, both Elias Torres and um, David Cancel, uh, are, are very adamant about their truth around their origin story, right? Both uh, Latinx founders migrated to this country and what have you, right? Having said that, even that kind of company with those type of founders that have a... a a real origin story and have reached the summit in a way or reaching their summit, right? Um, it's been a moving target, right? And they themselves have admitted, listen, you know, we haven't been able to necessarily always get out of group think, right? Developers, uh, we have to look for certain developers that are a certain sort of uh, makeup or come from a certain makeup uh, because it, it's, it's the, the platform they're building out is AI driven as well. And um, so, so I get what you're saying and I, I would agree with that. Um, it's difficult because when, in the early days, you could say, you know, when they were less than 40 employees, maybe their the culture was that, you know, that more, that much more. Um, it's also, announced. they also had the same mission, right? Those 40 people are aligned with all the same goals, you know, which right. is easier to do. And like, I, the, the part for me that companies, I think, need to realize about culture is that you go public, fantastic. But once you got shareholders breathing down your neck, all right, and board oh, yeah. members breathing down your neck. Yeah that culture is going to change really, really quickly. Absolutely. So what you need is you need people who are adaptable and robust enough to excel in an ever-changing culture. So when right. times do get rough, they're still able to perform. But if all you do is rely on your culture to sort of create this sort of ecosystem of a safe space, people are never going to succeed and your company's not going to succeed long-term. You know, it's sort of like uh, Taleb's book on like anti-fragile, right? Like we need to build anti-fragile employees that are adaptable to any situation and can sort of overcome that. But right now we don't do that. You know, we create the softest space possible and that's pretty much it. And, you know, I think we need to just invest more. Yeah, no, I love it. And I love that you're talking about books, which kind of segues into, I firmly believe that, you know, leaders are readers, right? And that sharing knowledge and obtaining knowledge is something we could all do, right? And um, so if, if you, if you, um, you know, if, if you could, what would be just, let's say, three books that you um, have read or are reading now and, and would give as, uh, here's three books that I think anybody that reads it will get 1% better, right? And this could be for recent graduates, right? Because yeah. I think about them these days as well. These are folks that are coming out and trying to get into the workforce or someone mid-career who just got furloughed. What are three books that you would recommend? Yeah, so um, I really do love Play Bigger. And I think it's like, I look at books as like, 
something's current, right? So current for me is play bigger, right? Because we are sort of creating a new category. Absolutely, um, I love that. I was gonna mention that to you. Yeah, um, the next one is, is Anti-Fragile by Taleb, all right? Uh, because that for me is a way of building my business, right? Um, and the third one, which is a little bit more sort of like a, a Bible for me in a, in a lot of ways is uh, uh, Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. Um, that's probably been the most influential book for me in like stoicism and, and whatnot. Not that I'm a stoic by any means, but uh, it's a book that I can consistently go back to and uh, sort of self-reflect on my on the decisions that I'm making. More importantly, the emotions that I'm uh, that I'm creating. Interesting. Yeah, that that last one I wouldn't have um, guessed too much, but I'll have to check it out as well. I'll put all these on the show notes as well. Okay. But so, what what has been also your experience? You know, now that we are um, in, in, you know, we're, we're, in, in, we're in C19, right? And we're, we're here in the U.S. going through this potential, you know, second wave or not um, independent of politically wh- where you're at. What are you thinking this could be as an impact and how could my Leon help organizations that are struggling with some of these um, engage, in, you know, employee engagement um, situations? Yeah, um... I, you know, I, I think first off is that we're a data company, right? And that we help individuals and companies understand the people cost of doing business. And, and that's really important, right? Because there's always a cost of doing business, but companies, yeah. companies don't understand that, right? They don't have that metric. Like what was the people cost of scaling to 10 X? What is the people cost of COVID-19? You know, what is the people cost of pushing on that new product in record time? You know, we have to understand that because the company that wins is the companies that can repeat performance over and over and over again. You know, it, we had an analogy in sort of like football where it wasn't the fastest wide receiver all right, who wins every time. It's the wide receiver who can repeat that speed over and over and over again, right? So I think when companies, especially right now, is understand the cost of all of this, understand the cost of your employees at home and burning out and mental health and whatnot. And, you know, even if they don't use us, use your own sort of surveys or analytics to understand how this is affecting your team and how you can better support them, but use data to do it. Don't just be that person who just says, Hey, we bought you something, go use it. You know, like you use data to drive those decision-making. You know, I posted something on LinkedIn the other day, you know, when you're, when you're sort of assessing your team or you're looking to push out a new product release, do a pre and post survey. Right. And but gauge it on, you know, health and burnout and all these other things. All right. And then see what it is before and see what it is after. Look at the decrement, see what happened. All right. If you see that it increased. Awesome. Like if mental health increased or, you know, morale increased or whatever, have you fantastic. You did a good job. All right. But over time, use that every single time you get longitudinal data that helps you understand what a good sprint is and what a bad sprint is. So to answer your question, I think that companies need to understand that there's always a cost doing business. And right now it's a very, very huge cost. And you need to have some sort of data to understand that to better support your team. Yeah, no, I love that answer. And it makes me think of, you know, um, since I follow uh, Christopher Lockhead and listen to his podcast, he had an interesting guest uh, a little while back, VC, uh, Dr. Michael James. And he talked about um, backcasting. So kind of being able to, and I want to ask you this because I think your company is doing this in a way which is being able to live both in the pragmatic state of now, right? So having an organization that's working on all the things they need to do to be scalable and to win their go- and their go-to-market strategy, but also having this sort of like, you know, fiction writer, I live in la-la land and I can be a futurist and look four years out and, and how is my company going to impact my ideal, you know, customer, right? four years out, let's say five years out. And I think more than ever, because right now we're living on, on uncharted waters and on, you know, uncertain times, and we don't know really what's going to happen with C19 two years out, let's say perhaps with vaccines or what have you, what, what are you seeing it? And how are you guys visualizing that? Um, you know, you with a founder's perspective, you see you're, you're, you're a bit of a visionary already from all the things we've talked about knocking the status quo of eight, you know, of town development and, and human capital. What, what, what is the vision you're seeing that, that could potentially happen a couple, couple of years out? You know, um, I think the vision that I would like to see is I want people to stay remote. I want people to be able to make their own schedule and adjust and, and live the life that they want to live while still performing. 
right? And still excelling at their job. You know, I think we need a cultural change. I think when I said that 85% of employees hate their job, you know, it's a Gallup study and I understand there's a lot of noise in that data, but this is the point is that almost anybody would rather be doing anything else other than working right now. Anybody, you'd rather be with your kids. I'd rather be with my daughters. You know, like that's, that's a true point. And we have to get that, get past that, that space where work feels like work. It should be part of life, but something that's built in and fit in and fits in that makes you a better human being. You know, I don't know if that makes sense, but you know, that's, that's where I want to see things happen. And I think it's moving that way. Yeah, no, no, I love that. And I second that. Listen, I'm a working parent, a founder as well. And I, I like to have my work-life balance, but I don't think it's really a balance. I think it's, it's a, it's a mix, you know, it's, it's, it's gotta be both. Right. Um, I can only be my, my, you know, the best I can for my business uh, when I'm also feeling that I'm being the best I can as a father, right. As a husband. So I, 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 I second what you're saying. Um, and I do believe that like, you know, we don't have to go too far, but if we look at um, WordPress as an example, right? So WordPress has had a distributed team for probably a couple decades, almost, almost two decades now, right? And so when you think about companies that have excelled and, and you know, they've excelled, you know, I think like 80 something percent of websites are on the WordPress open source backend, right? And it's, 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 it was deliberately done by their founder, right? And so Distributed teams and working remote has worked and does work, right? Um, but I do think that this um, landscape is, is, has changed, uh, maybe forever changed, that perception of that you have to have a home base office, right? And uh, interestingly enough, in a lot of different talks that I've heard, you know, COOs um, are looking very hard at their, their numbers when it comes to, you know, um, office space, right? Um, commercial real estate is going to get dinged. It, it already has, but you know, the knowledge economy, if you think really hard about it, right, which is where I think most, in most um, countries uh, in this global marketplace that we all work and live in are heading towards that. No one wants to stay in the industrial age. That's, you know, a thing of the past, right? So companies, governments um, are all seeking how can they work lighter? How can they work smarter? How can they work in, in, a, in, a, in a better capacity sort of situation? And if that means that you can and have to as well because of C19 and the, reper the reper repercussions of it, work from home, then we have to start embracing this uh, sooner than later, right? And leadership, to your point, in, in HR and the C-suite have to already open up their eyes and recognize that this is something that they could take advantage of in a way, right? In a positive way, right? And not look at it as, uh, as a, as a uh, detriment to, to how their company is going to operate, you know? I mean, big companies, you heard it, like Twitter, Twitter was one of the first to post, hey, you know, moving forward, everyone can just work from home, right? Like there's no, no need to come to the office, right? Mm -hmm. um, so you've got big, big, big players in the, in the SaaS space talking about this. Um, and some are going to want to have, you know, somewhere in the middle. But the fact that you're, you know, myleon.co is focusing in on how are you going to be able to help those individual employees become better performers and have that balance is great because a lot of the times that goes on un, under, under the radar, right? People yeah, it's are always, um, always self-serving, you know, companies yes. buy educational, they do these things, but it's always to benefit the business, not the human being. Yeah, no, I agree a hundred percent on that. And so if, if you were to, um, you know, get, get on, um, on, on, a, on a time machine, let's, 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 let's use as an example, one of my favorite movies yeah. growing up in the eighties. And, you know, I don't know, I'm on the fourth floor. I don't know if you're on the third floor, fourth floor, but I, now I, I understand you have two daughters. So at least. Yeah. I'm you know, on the imagine. upper, I'm on the upper ends of the third floor. Yeah. Okay. Sounds good. All right. So I'm on the like midway through on the fourth floor. And so uh, growing up, I, I loved, uh, you know, back to the future and uh, Michael yeah. J. Fox and Marty and, and the character. And so if you could, you know, jump into uh, the DeLorean with me, and go back in time and speak to a younger Brian, mm -hmm. what's some you know, advice you would give yourself um, about this journey that you've had? Oh man, you know, I think I'm one of those firm believers that, you know, everybody makes mistakes, right? Like I was divorced once, you know, I've I had too many drunk nights. Like, you know, there's, there's, there's so many things like that, right? Um, but in the end, and I, this might be copying out of the answer, I'd like the life that I live right now, you know? And, you know, if it is a butterfly effect thing, then I probably wouldn't change anything to tell you the truth. 
you know, I love my wife. I love my kids. You know, I, I love the company and I love what I'm building, you know, so I don't, I wouldn't change anything to be honest. Yeah, that's great, man. Life is good. Yeah. That's, that's great when you can have that perspective. Um, and I like what you said about the butterfly effect. Actually, one of uh, another guest on the show, which you might know, Morgan J. Ingram, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> he, uh, he had that similar sort of mentality. And one of his favorite song from Travis Scott is Butterfly Effect. <laughs> so it's funny you said that. So take, take me into what you're looking to, to do to wrap up this second half of the year. Um, are there any things that um, you'd, you'd like for, you know, for, for folks that are in the HR or C-levels to, to be yeah. aware of that my Leon is... Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I don't, I don't really necessarily need to promote the company. I think, I think really what it comes down to is, listen, as a founder and as a person who has a team of people, I don't want to feel like that I have to hold a company happy hour to make my, feel, to make my people feel like that they're, uh, you know, that they're cared for, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I want to, and I think everybody should create a team of people that is so self-sufficient that you don't even need to talk to them to a certain extent, all right? And that you don't, you shouldn't have to have that daily call if everybody's on the same page and everybody's on the same mission, right? And I think that if we, if our people need us to ping them on a daily basis to ask them how they are, I think we're doing something wrong, right? Um, So I think as a whole, let's create more robust, more resilient employees and spend money to make them happier, healthier, and just more, I guess, well-rounded, all right? And I think we'll all get a better return versus constantly trying to use this legacy mindset of keep them in our bubble, right? Remove the bubble. The bubble's gone, you know? I think embrace the, the gig economy and the whatnot that we have of the world and let your employees sort of love their life while they support your company. Hey, I love that. I love that statement. And you know what? Over the last probably five or so years, I've noticed that since the gig economy with the upworks of the world, the fibers of the world, and just companies that have sort of transcended the markets and industries, the Ubers, right, Airbnbs, I think that those of us that are living in this knowledge economy, that's what we strive for, right? So we want to be part of a company. We do want to work with a founder that we feel that, hey, they're, they're, they're on a mission and I like their mission and I'm going to support it with my knowledge, with my business acumen. And, you know, if I get compensated for it, that's, you know, gravy on top, right? Mm-hmm. But <laughs> I would dare say that, you know, the, 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 typically the, the brighter, uh, the more enlightened, the more aggressive, the more, um, you know, um, em, uh, employees that, that are typically on your higher end of your worker performance, uh, you know, podium, let's say, mm-hmm. they're the ones that are also um, open about their kind of their own individual um, you know, goals, right? Mm-hmm. So they may have a side hustle mm-hmm. that typically companies don't want to hear about, right? They're like, no, 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 no. You, you've, you know, you're working for me. I don't want to hear about your yeah. side project or I don't want to support that. And I find that that's usually counterproductive <clears throat> for the organization because these, these side hustles, these projects, it's, it's, it's something that they, you know, that employee um, has an affinity towards or wants to do uh, because it's not always just about the money, but it could be because this is something that they're passionate about. And by not supporting that or by not li- giving that latitude, you know, having to check in and make sure that they're, they're um, just doing your project. I think that that hurts um, individuals when they're, they're trying to become better performers, right? Because if you do give that latitude, you know, I won't say a, a certain individual that I, that I know of that was in a big company like this and <clears throat> did, did his is thing they kind of put him out there on, on the map, like a, as a brand, um, personal brand, let's say. He, he mentions how he learned much more doing his personal sort of project, but he was able to take all that, all that and kind of like that knowledge and that journey and the, 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 even the losses that occurred in that, other, in that other kind of venture or that side hustle. And, and apply it towards his, his, his yeah. the company he was working for, right? Well, um, look at it like this. If I think I did a good job, <clears throat> if I can create a metric that says how many of my employees went off to start their own, their own company, like that's a win for me, right? Because I created someone who's self-sufficient, who's self-reliant, who knows how to get from point A to point B on their own without me. You know, that's the most important part of what we do, right? Like we make better people. 
managers, leaders, whatever, you know, we try to make better people. So let's make better people, not better employees. You know, if they do I that, love that. I love that. And that's, you know, that's a, that's a, you're, you're turning things on their head. You know that, right? Yeah. <laughs> because when you think about like the legacy and the status quo in, in, in organizations and HR, it's when they look at human capital, they look at it as how are we grooming or not grooming <clears throat> this employee to sustain, you know, um, in, in XYZ division, right? And they sometimes, uh, unfortunately, make the mistakes, and you've probably seen this in your, in your career as well. It's, um, well, they'll, they'll, they'll hone in on an individual contributor who is excellent as an individual contributor <clears throat> and make the mistake as their company is growing to think that that individual contributor now should be the director, the manager, right? Give him or her the responsibilities that they may have not asked for or wanted. Um, because uh, to your point, and what I, I love that I think your company is, is definitely doing, is you're really understanding the psyche uh, where where that employee is at, where they want to head, be head, where are they heading, so that you don't make those false assumptions, right? Or are just too um, too you know are too um, I guess sort of blind to just think, oh, how is this person going to be able to help the company, but not the other way around, right? Mm-hmm. So you end up putting someone in in a in a place where they're not might not be a hundred percent of a fit, and their individual contributions, uh, which used to be awesome and off the roof, and the quotas are always met, and that starts suffering because you made that assumption, right? Not thinking about them and helping them grow in the way they wanted to grow and put them into a capacity of leadership that they may have not been yeah. looking for. Is mm-hmm. that sort of a bit of your point too? Yeah. I mean, you know, I think is I, I want my employees to be able to create their own path, right? And if that path means them starting their own other company or moving management, moving into management, into my company, or just staying where they're at, that's fine. But as long as they're fulfilled, you know, but I don't, we shouldn't create this fake fulfillment for them, right? Um, they need to be f- fulfilled personally. And maybe maybe that is the happy hours. You know, maybe, that, maybe that's something they need as an individual. And that's fine. You can still do that. But don't, don't use that as a crutch to think that that's going to make everybody happy. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that if you support your people enough, you create as, as good of a person as you can, right? like from a performance standpoint, from a health standpoint, and you actually invest in those type of things, ultimately they are going to find their own path because they're able to sort of manage their mental state better. They're able to manage their burnout better. They're able to manage their home life and their work life better. They're able to balance all of that into one complete thing rather than these siloed, you know, uh, structures in our life. And that's, I mean, let's be honest, that's, not, that's, that's where the world's going. Everything is, is sort of emulsified now. You know, it's no longer silos, but we treat it like it's silos. We treat it like this is your work life. This is your home life. It doesn't, that doesn't exist anymore. At least I hope it doesn't exist anymore because, you know, I've worked for people. You've worked for people. I don't want to go back to that. I don't want to have to go back to the hour and a half drive to go to work, you know, to take myself away from my life to go work for someone else. And no one wants to do that, you know, so, um, so yeah, you know, like I said before, you know, we make better people and we make better companies. Yeah, no, I love it. I love it. So how, how can people find you? Um, if people want to connect with you, want to learn more, where can we Yeah, I mean, you know, go on, you can go on Twitter. I don't even know my Twitter handle to tell you the truth uh, or my LinkedIn, but more importantly, go to myleon.co. You know, I write a ton there, you know, we're going to put out some, some awesome content. We got some some videos coming out next month, which are gonna make a lot of people hate me and love me. Uh, so it should, it should be a fun ride, man. I love it, I love it. You're taking one from uh, the Mr. Lockhead's page of, you know, hated by many, loved by few. <laughs> He's got that on his LinkedIn. You know, as, as far as I'm concerned, man, marketing's about owning headspace. And, you know, if in some people it's a negative headspace, I'm fine with that. And I said the other day on Twitter, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, LinkedIn, that I'm 100% okay not being a fit for every company. Right. Because the ones that's, that are you know, it, we're, we're true partners. Exactly. I love that. And by the way, congratulations on your, your, your new partnership with, uh, is it, and uh, no, no. Yeah, Go Noodle. That's a, it's a pretty cool thing. And it's a, it's a, and it's a program for like children, why uh, parents are home. We have a ton of partnerships coming out. So, you know, from, uh, yeah. That one, that one to me kind of stuck out because as a working parent and having young children, mm-hmm. you know, um, with fall, you know, a couple months scary, away. Yes. No, so um, mine, so are, mine, mine are still little, right? I have a three-year-old, two boys, and a, and a six-year-old, my six-year-old. So we're going to have to start with him. Um, in, in, uh, here in South Florida, it's, it'll be remote. 
um, distance education. Um, the other, other, it is, you know, it other... is here as well. Yeah, it is here. So I have an 11 and seven year old and they're both going to be here with me from essentially 730 to 1230, you know, doing schoolwork. So there is some programs that are happening where um, there's going to be private schools in like small rooms, like three to five kids. Yep. And they're doing like proctored, right? So like mm -hmm. the kids log in to their school district, do their work, but there's someone who's there. So, you know, we're looking at that as po a possible opportunity, but. Uh, right. No, I love it, man. I mean, like your, 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 uh, you know, your platform is, I mean, there couldn't be better, better timing, I think right now for it, because it's just all the, you know, everything is converging, right? So you've got your work life, uh, you know, school for children, who knows, or how the education system is all going to pan out. And then you got people that are in careers, right? We're all in careers or midway through careers or starting careers. And, you know, at the end of the day, we all want to improve and get better and have, and feel like we have some kind of, uh, um, you know, some backing from, from our employer for that. So this is great. Hey, I really had a great time. Uh, Ryan, I appreciate uh, the fact that you took time today. Um, I'm wishing you and, uh, you know, your company, all, all the best. And, and I know that I'll be following you for sure to check out uh, more of the, more of the videos that you said you're coming, some of the partnerships, as well as some, some crazy copy from uh, Mr. Cole Schaefer himself. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, thanks again for, for being, for being a guest. We really appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. This was a great conversation. Thank you. Yeah, man. Thanks. This is Adam. Hey, Mike, what's going on? No, we're a bleeding edge SaaS platform, so yeah, we're gonna have a lead magnet. Hmm. Hey, give me one second. I bet you're wondering why I'm in this dog crate. Well, let's just say things at the office have been a bit micromanagey lately, and Boss Man's been working us like dogs. Yo. Yeah. No, I thought. <laughs> to be candid, at the office I was being treated like dog shit. But then I found Leon which is a platform that helps companies treat their employees a whole lot better. I showed it to my boss, and let's just say life at the office now just got a whole lot sweeter. <laughs>